0: Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to everybody. It's been a great morning thus far. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I know it's a good morning when I come up here and I'm already sweating. Uh, That's a a sign of the spirit moving, I think, or something moving. My heartbeat, maybe. Um, But grateful you guys are here, especially our guests, our visitors. Thanks for joining us, uh, especially on this this wonderful day uh, of Father's Day. Let me pray for us as we dive into uh, our our series, uh, Desire. Father, just thinking kind of of the theme of the worship this morning as Rebecca put together this set that that talked about wanting to hear from you. Um, And Lord, I believe with all my heart that the first voice, the first sound we will hear when we pass away will be yours. It'll be you calling out our name and waking us up for eternal life. But Lord, I believe that that your voice can be heard even now and can wake us up and give us that life right now. And so we pray for that, Father. We don't want to wait we want to experience the abundant life, the Jesus-filled life, the Spirit-infused life. We want that life right now. We believe it will come as you speak to us. So please do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A few years ago, Lady Gaga came out with a song entitled, I Live for the Applause. Here's a picture of Lady Gaga. And actually, John was, was messing around with this picture and he we zoomed in and we noticed something really odd about this picture. Look, <laughs> Look right there at this picture. It Looks like she has an adoring, crazed fan <laughs> named Ryan Long. That's amazing. I didn't know he had a celebrity crush on Gaga. Ryan, wow. Tells me a lot about you. Were you gonna come up here with a meat, like with marrying meat some days? I could. Gonna... Anyway, all right, sorry. So, Lady Gaga, the song "I Live for the Applause." Maybe you've heard of the song. Maybe you haven't. But here's here's how it goes. Applause, applause! I live for the applause, applause! Live for the applause, applause! the way to cheer and for me. The applause, applause, applause! All right, now, who's heard this song before? Be honest. Who rocks this song out? Okay, very well done. Good job. Okay, because I'm old guys too. Proud of you. Proud of you for that. But this particular song perfectly describes our next desire. And it's a desire that I can resonate with maybe more than all the rest. See, if you know anything about me, then you know that I'm a little competitive. And if I were to be real, I would say I hate losing with every fiber of my being. From board games to the boardroom, I have to win. When I was little, I would literally cry every single time I struck out in baseball. I used to throw video game controllers across the room and into the couch, or I'd turn the system off as soon as I was about to lose my undefeated season. Once, regretfully, I spanked myself profusely with a ping pong paddle after I lost the match to a friend. <laughs> and then, then there's Stacker. Anybody ever play this arcade game called Stacker? Well, I nearly had to spend some time behind bars as a result of what happened one afternoon with me in this game. You see, I nearly punched my fist through that glass because I was so mad at those stupid blocks. You could go for the Hello Kitty pencil or three more blocks and you get the iPad. I mean, the discrepancy was crazy. And I was one block away, ten times one block away. Uh, If you were present that day, you would have never guessed I was a pastor or a Christian, for that matter. And so it wasn't my finest hour. But you see, I want to win at everything. I want to be the best at everything. And not only that, but I want everybody else to know it and to see it. Uh, Take my high school letterman jacket as an example. Had to dig this out of the closet. Actually, I didn't. I wear it every night before I go to bed, but uh, I'm not sure if you can see it, but there's some patches on here, everything from sports awards to, to titles, and then my name and presidential title just plastered all over the back just in case you wanted to know how much of a big deal I was. Yeah, you see, uh, this is basically an overpriced jacket with pompous and pretentious patches all over it. And I rocked it every day, even when it was 100 degrees outside. You see, I live for the applause. But I think all of us live for the applause, don't we? All of us are driven by different desires. And so this summer, we're talking about the seven core desires of the human heart, how you've been hardwired and how you've been created by God himself. And we're driven by these desires, everything from fascination to love and intimacy, beauty, power, and everything in between. They drive everything that we do and say. And this morning, I want to talk about our drive for greatness. This is the desire to be the best. This is the desire to be crowned the king, the desire to be carried out of the room on people's shoulders as they chant your name. Thomas, 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 Thomas. I thought you were going to join in there. I mean, I threw that right at you. It's like, (laughs) but you see, God wants to satisfy this desire. You're going to go everywhere else to seek satisfaction, but God is actually the one who wants to satisfy it. Normally, what happens is we feel as if these deepest desires that we have, especially for things like greatness and power, they're evil desires, they need to be suppressed. And repented of. But these desires are not bad. We're learning these desires are from God. And they're actually designed to draw us closer to God. God doesn't want us just to declare a belief in him. He actually wants us to delight ourselves in him. He doesn't want to just save us. He actually wants to satisfy us. And not just someday by and by in heaven. But he wants to do that right now. For every single person in this room. And that's especially true as it pertains to our desire for greatness this is the desire you have to not only play the game but to get the trophy at the end of the game and oh by the way you want to crush your opponent while you're playing the game this is the desire you have to not only learn a new skill but to master that new skill and to instantly be the best at it this is the desire you have to not only have smart kids and rock the bumper sticker you want to have the smartest kids you want more than a bumper sticker This is a desire you have to not only decorate your house, but to decorate it in such a way that all your friends post pictures of it on their Pinterest page and then hire you to come decorate their house. This is that desire, the desire for greatness, the desire to be powerful, the desire to be important, the desire to be esteemed, maybe even envied by others. This is a desire to be applauded, like Lady Gaga said. And at one level or another, I think we're all driven by this desire Whether it's championship trophies, maybe advanced degrees, number of followers you have on Twitter, we all want to be great. We all want to be the big cheese, the big kahuna, just a big deal. And if you doubt that you have this desire, then just wait until something is ripped away from you. Wait until some accolade or some promotion or some credit is ripped away from you. Then all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait, that was for me. I wanted that. You're supposed to praise me. But why? Why do we feel this way? Why are we driven so much by this desire for greatness? Where does this come from? Well, I think the answer is found on nearly every page of the Bible. You don't have to look very far to see where this desire originates. Let me show you a couple passages in particular. First Chronicles 16 says this. For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are but idols, but the Lord He made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all other gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it his hands. He formed the dry land. Did you see it? Did did you pick up on it? You want to be great because God is great. You want to be powerful because your God is powerful. You want to be praised by others because God is worthy to be praised by others. From calling the galaxy into existence at the beginning to calling out the stars every night by name. From parting the Red Sea to walking on the Galilean Sea. From being the author of life to the one who defeated death. Our God is a great God. Amen? He is the greatest of all gods. There is no one like him in heaven above or earth below. But guess what? You've been made out of that stock You've been made to be like him. You've been made to bear his image. Greatness literally runs through your veins because God's life, God's breath, and God's spirit literally runs through your veins. So it's not wrong to want to be great. That's that's how you've been created. That's how you've been hardwired. But as is the case with all the other desires, it all boils down to how you go about satisfying this desire for greatness. Because all desires have a dark side It's especially true when it comes down to greatness, right? We can look down at others or maybe even ourselves. We can abuse others or maybe even ourselves. We are never great enough. Someone always beats our record. We're never satisfied when we try to pursue greatness through the world's ways and through the world's standards. If we're not careful, greatness can just gobble us up and make us feel empty and rather worthless. Listen to how C.S. Lewis put it. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see the great thing that's right above you. Most assume they'll be great when they win one of these. I asked John and, and Nathan and Ryan to bring some of these from, from their high schools, and uh, it was so funny. Uh, one of them was for a cheerleading competition. I knew that was Ryan's. And then uh, another one was from Columbine, and it spelled championship wrong on the title of it. Columbine championship doesn't have two P's. anyway sorry yeah they should have taken the trophy away but you see it can happen when you get one of those but that's not really how it happens it can happen when when you get a certain number of likes or maybe a certain job title But that's not really how it happens it can happen when you make 60 dits a year or take half of the year off it can happen not but not really You are great, not because of your accomplishments. You have achieved something great, but that doesn't make you great. It makes you proud. It makes you short-sighted. It makes you egotistical. It actually makes you blind. See, in pursuit of greatness, we gotta go to Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga had it right. We live for the applause. But the question is, whose applause? Whose applause are we living for? We all wanna be applauded, but the question is, by who? We have to be applauded by the appropriate audience. See, the applause of the world, it's it's hard to get, and it's very easy to lose. What impresses the world, what impresses other people, what impresses the crowds, it's rather fickle, and it's rather finite. I mean, think about this. Think about how quickly we forget who won last year's championships. Yet we spent so much time applauding their efforts. Now I can't even remember who won, yet, let alone who came in second. Think about how easy it is to forget who was the star of the show you just had to watch every week. I don't even remember their name now. Think about how easy it is to forget who you voted for or who made the headlines. You see, we forget and we move on pretty quickly. Oh, you were great yesterday, but what have you done for me today? See, this this cycle of trying to satisfy your desire for greatness is this never-ending, empty cycle. Unless, of course, you believe in Psalm 37.4 which says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire for greatness. He will give you that desire. I mean, think about it. There's a reason the saying says 15 minutes of fame. Ask any one-hit winner, uh, any TV star, child TV star. Ask any uh, injured athlete. That's about as long as the greatness factor lasts. It's about as long as your fame and fortune lasts. I mean, take this, this jacket as an example. I worked my tail off for these things I devoted my life to this stuff and for a couple of weeks and months maybe a couple of years a few people applauded me and they forgot about me and they forgot about the jacket and they forgot about what I did and I wasn't great anymore and now I'm going to counseling as a result of it <laughs> still hurts but I'm working through it but you see but if you want to be great truly great then you've got to seek the applause of the Creator and not the crowd You've gotta seek the applause of your maker and not the masses. You've gotta seek the applause of the one who epitomizes greatness and not everybody else. You've gotta seek the applause of heaven because the applause of heaven, when you get it, lasts and echoes for all of eternity. It's not just here one day and gone the next. It's not just a couple of claps or a little golf clap. No, 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 It rings out throughout the heavens. That's the applause we want. If we're going to live for the applause, if we're going to want to be great, fine, good. But let's be great in God's eyes. Let's be great according to the great one. And let's get heaven to applaud our efforts. So what does that mean? How does heaven applaud or what makes heaven applaud? How does a great God define greatness? That's what I want to spend the next few minutes sharing with you. And especially on Father's Day. What makes a man a great man? What makes a man a great husband? What makes a man a great father? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Let me show you a passage that completely rocked my world a few years ago. Luke 22 says this. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them, they call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I'm flipping everything around. I come among you, and I am among you as the one who serves. Here in Luke 22, the disciples, a group of 12 men, mind you, get in an argument. And wouldn't you know it, it's an argument about who's the greatest. Guys, get your head out of the gutter. But if you've ever heard a group of dudes talking about who the greatest you know, athlete of all time is, or the greatest car, or the greatest era, you know how this conversation sounds and where it's going. Not good. Stay with me now, though. And Jesus walks up in this conversation. And in response to what he hears the disciples arguing about, in response to this heated time of fellowship, we'll call it, you would expect a stiff rebuke from the Lord, wouldn't you? You would expect him to say something like, How dare you ask such questions how dare you worry about greatness or positions of influence have you not listened to or heard a single word that i've been sharing with you for the last 3 years that's not what happened at all there's no rebuke there's no reprimand there's not even a hint of irritation on jesus part Jesus doesn't get mad at the disciples for wanting to be great. He actually affirms their desire. Oh, you want to be great? Let's be great. Let me show you exactly what that means. Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, will be exalted see Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to put their desire for greatness on pause no he says this is how you actually pursue it he doesn't denounce the desire for greatness he defines for them what greatness looks like you've heard me talk before uh, about stacking wood for my dad up in the mountains of New Mexico where I grew up I must have been scarred by those experiences because I always talk about them so I'm going to counseling for that too I guess So one day he comes in, he's got this huge pile of wood sitting out in our driveway. And about, a don't know, 75 yards away is the porch, our new covered porch. And he says, I want you to pile that wood on the porch. i like, great. So I put all the wood in the wheelbarrow, roll it over there. I just start throwing it up on the porch. As soon as there's a huge pile of wood under the porch, I walk in, I call it good. Well, my dad walks out, and you would have thought I slapped his mom. (laughs) Because he was mad. He says, stacked, son." stacked you call this stacked he then goes on to show me how you got to put three pieces of wood this way then on top of that three pieces of wood this way then again three pieces of wood this way i mean you need a degree in mechanical engineering to pull this off he does a little section of it and he says now son that's stacked and that's what i want you to do see and i wonder if jesus isn't doing that same exact thing here in this passage boys you want to be great you want to be great But you call that greatness, you call titles greatness? You call accomplishments or accolades greatness? You call the accumulation of things greatness? That's easy. Anybody can call you a benefactor. Anybody can call you president. Anybody can call you important, whatever. It's not about what they call you. Stuff and titles, that's easy to get. It's not about power or prestige or positions. It's about service. It's about becoming the servant of all. If you want to be great, Jesus says, and I know you do because I made you that way, you gotta go about doing it this way. This is what I mean by stacked, my dad said. And Jesus says, this is what I mean by greatness. Here lies probably the most difficult thing Jesus ever said, or at least one of, Greatness comes not when you triumph over others or accomplish more than others or even when you're praised by others. Greatness comes when you serve others. That's what makes heaven stand up and applaud. That's what brings the king of glory off of his throne and give you a round of applause. This isn't just any old act of service. Jesus said, I need you to become the servant of all, the slave of all. That means you gotta serve people you don't know. Worse than that, you gotta serve people you don't like. Worse than that, you gotta serve people who don't like you. That means like children can't give you anything in return and only take, 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 take from you. You gotta serve them. You gotta serve the poor, who we think only take, 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 take from us, but guess what? Yeah, you're supposed to serve them. The marginalized, the sick, the imprisoned. Yes, Seahawks fans. You have to serve them. The servant of all, he says. You want to be great, boys? Then become the servant of all. Jesus says greatness isn't standing on a podium, holding a trophy, proving how much better you are than everybody else. Greatness is about getting on your knees, holding a towel, serving everybody else. Let me show you what I mean. John 13. It was just before the Passover festival that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning back to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him this text tells us that that in this moment jesus literally had all of the power on heaven and earth at his very disposal his power was at a pinnacle in this moment did you pick up on that look at that Uh, god had put all things under his power this is that icebreaker question you get every once in a while like if you were to pick a superhero power which one would you pick jesus had them all Right there, in that moment, he had everything available to him. He could have done anything and everything he wanted. Yet at that moment, when his greatness was at the highest point that it ever had been in his earthly ministry, he picks up a towel and he washes dirty feet. I can guarantee you that is not what I would have done in that moment. You give me unlimited cosmic power, like the Aladdin says in Genie. The Genie says in Aladdin, you got it, anyway. You give us... Limitless resources. You you give me superhero strength. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wow people. I'm gonna amaze people. I'm gonna show people how cool I am. I'm not gonna serve people. That's not what I'm gonna do with that power. That's not what I'm gonna do with that opportunity. That's exactly what our God does. And that's interesting. It, Maybe we forget about everybody else's greatness because they choose the easy way out for it. They choose the one that lasts a few minutes and then is gone. But maybe we're praising Jesus forever because he chose a very different kind of greatness. And now the choice is yours. Which kind are you gonna choose? Which one do you want? It's not glamorous. I'll give you that. It's not grand. That is definitely true. But guess what? It's the definition of greatness. And it's up to you now to decide if you wanna be great or not. It's not about holding one of these or rocking one of these. It's about washing a bunch of these. This moment is truly symbolic of Jesus' eternal greatness. Let me show you a passage that I hope will just rock your world this morning. Luke 12. Be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Most of you have read this passage before, right? You know this passage. You better work hard. You better be on your A game because if Jesus shows up and you're not busy, then who knows what's gonna happen. Read it in context. Look at what's about to happen. Truly I tell you, the master will dress himself to serve. He will have all of us Recline at the table, and the great God of the universe will come and wait on us. That's incredible, is it not? The great God of the universe, the master of all creation, the one who spoke it all into being, he wants to wait at your table. He wants to come and he wants to give you and provide for you whatever it is that you want and that you need. How is that possible? God who's greater than all other gods. God who's stronger than all other gods. A God who is bigger and better than all other gods. What's he going to do with that greatness? What's he going to do with that power? He's going to serve you. He's going to serve you. That's what makes him so great. It's not necessarily his sovereignty that makes him great, although that's pretty incredible. Not necessarily his strength that makes him great, although I wouldn't mess with it. It's not necessarily his supremacy over all their gods that makes him great, although he's proven that time and time again. What makes him great is his willingness to serve us. That's what makes him great. And Jesus says to the disciples, you want to be great? Then let's be great. Start serving. Start serving and you will be the greatest of all. So what does this mean for us? How do we live out the teachings of Christ? How do we follow the example of Christ? I mean, what does it mean to be great in the great God's eyes? And dads, I want to talk to you directly for for a few minutes. My prayer is that each and every one of you dads would take the posture of Jesus here in John 13 and that you would serve your family in that way. And I'm sure you've washed your fair share of dirty little feet in the bathtub. Maybe you've given your wife a, a foot massage every now and again. But I want to take this whole foot washing thing to a whole nother level. I want to go beyond that. I want to go somewhere a little bit deeper. I want to challenge you to be a servant to your family. Because we need you to be a great man. We need you to be a great dad. We need you to be a great husband. And guess what? It will happen when you serve. That's how it happens. So you will be great when you serve your family in the following three ways. One is by speaking truth to and over your family, dads. Several authors believe that Adam's great sin back in the garden was that of silence. See, Eve was being tempted by the devil. She was being enticed by empty promises. She was having a distorted version of the truth given to her. It's happening to your wives and your kids as well, but guess what? Adam said nothing about it. He didn't pipe up, he didn't speak up. He refused to speak out against it and it ended up destroying him and his family. And my fear is that this is true for too many men today. Too many of us men are refusing to speak truth over and to our families. For one, I'm not sure that we know the truth. I'm not sure that we are fully dedicated to this word enough so we don't know what to say in certain situations because we don't know what God says about those situations. But man, I can guarantee you, every word you will ever need to share with your family is in God's word. From from what you need to say to that snotty two-year-old, from what you need to say to that that, that selfish 12-year-old, from what you need to say to that independent 22-year-old, everything you could possibly ever need to say, anything of any significance you could possibly ever say, God has already said it. And now he wants you to say it. See, a lot of men remain silent because they're afraid they're not gonna have all the answers. A lot of men remain silent because they're they're, they're gonna say the wrong thing. That's okay, men, just start talking. Saying nothing is not an option for us. We cannot remain silent like Adam did. We have to speak truth to our family. We have to remind them of the truth. So dad, speak truth to your wife and your daughters, that they are fearfully, wonderfully, perfectly made. You speak that to them, and you speak that over them. Dads, speak the truth to your family that they are not alone, and no matter what happens, come hell or high water, whatever that saying means, you will be right there with them. That they could do nothing to ever exhaust your love or the love of their heavenly father. You need to speak that truth over them and to them, dads. Dads, speak the truth to your wife and kids that they have God's spirit in them, which means they can accomplish far more than they could ever ask or imagine. Dads, you need to speak that truth over them and to them. Dads, speak the truth that you have doubts, you have fears, you have struggles, but that we believe when we are weak, then we are strong. When we are honest, then we are forgiven. You speak that truth to them. You speak that truth over them. If you want to serve your family, you've got to speak truth. Dads, And I pray that you will be great because you speak a lot of it. In addition to speaking truth to your family, the second thing that great men will do is step up to do the thankless jobs for their family. Think about Jesus' example here in John 13 is that anyone could have done this job. And it was a job that everyone knew needed to be done. So your feet back in the first century are pretty dirty. They're pretty grimy. You're walking through dust and ashes and animal things. So as soon as you walk into a home, the first thing you would do would be wash your feet. You don't want to bring that stuff into the home with you. The very first thing you do would be to have your feet washed by the servant. So here we read about a meal. Now we're several hours into the meal by the time we read what happens in John 13. That means for several hours, the men have looked at their feet and other people's feet and they're like, eh, I guess we just won't do it tonight. There's no servant around to do it for us, so I guess it's just not going to get done. We are several hours into it and no one has stepped up to do this job, that is, except Jesus. See, he took the initiative and did what no one else was willing to do, and I think great men are gonna do the same thing, from plunging the toilets to washing the dishes to helping with homework to pulling the weeds to finally getting that honey-do list done to pausing the game so you can help put the kids to bed. Those menial tasks, those thankless tasks, those tiring, burdening, uh, unappreciated tasks, those are what make you great, Dad. That's what makes you a great dad because you, unlike everybody else, you're willing to do those things. You're willing to step up and do whatever needs to be done. That's what makes you great in God's eyes. When no one else is looking, God is. When no one else wants to do it, God knows that you will do it. It's not glamorous. It's not grand, but it's the definition of great. You want to be great? Then let's be great. I know you've been working all day, dads. I know you're tired, dads, but guess what? So was Jesus, and he still did it. He took it upon himself to step up and to do the thankless things, the menial things for his family. From there, I think the last thing this morning is that great men will strive to move forward as a family. So first, I hope that you will be great because you're speaking truth to and over your family, timely truth, godly truth, wise truth you're speaking that to them and over them next you're stepping up you're doing things that no one else will do you're doing things your family didn't even know that you did and third you will strive to move this entire family forward see great men will lead their families every year into new places better places and not new homes or better vacations i'm talking about new places spiritually better places spiritually spiritual progress spiritual advancement great great men they will not be satisfied with mediocrity when it comes to their spiritual life Great men will not be satisfied with stagnation when it comes to being like Christ. Great men will constantly model maturity and sacrifice and growth. We joke around sometimes when when your older kids, 20 and 30-somethings, are still living at home, still living in the basement. Don't elbow anybody right now that that person describes you, okay? What we joke around about, eventually the parents got to kind of push them out. Like, hey, it's probably time for you to get a job. Probably time for you to Go meet somebody. Probably time for you to get your own place, right? Kind of move on. It's time to mature and grow up a little bit. But how many 20s and 30-somethings are living out a childish faith right now because the parents never did that for them spiritually? Well, do it for them physically. Like, you got to grow up, man. And dads, I think it's time for us, especially with our older kids, to start ta- challenging them spiritually. It's time to grow up, son. It's time to grow up, daughter. I need to push you, and I'm here to strive with you so that we can move forward as a family. So here's a few questions to challenge you. Is the faith of your family stronger today than it was a year ago on this day? If you can't answer that question with a definitive yes, then you haven't been striving to move forward. Does your wife, does she exude more fruits of the Spirit today than she did three years ago? If you can't say a definitive yes to that, then you haven't been striving to move your family forward. Do you feel as if your kids are more servant-oriented, more sacrificial than they were five years ago? Do they take the towel versus take the trophy? If you can't say yes, then you're not striving enough to move them forward as a family, your role as a servant is to do all you can to move them forward, take them deeper, challenge them every day to be more and more like Jesus. That is what will make you great. You see, Lady Gaga, and she had it right. She had it right. We live for the applause. We all want to be great. And that's because we've all been made by a great God. But you see, according to that great God, the one who's the epitome of it all, greatness isn't about stardom, it's about servitude. Greatness isn't about being manly, it's about being godly. Godly. Greatness isn't about being praised by others, it's about serving others. And so dads, I pray that you will now define greatness in these terms and in this way. I pray that you will know you are a great dad when you do these three things. And I pray you will begin to hear even now the applause of heaven over you and for you because you are a great man. And families, if you have a man like this in your life, how about you take that applause of heaven and bring it to earth? How about you start praising them today because guess what? If you have a man in your life who did any or all of these things, if you have a dad or an uncle or a grandfather or a friend or a father figure, if you have somebody who was willing to do these things for you, you have seen and been in a relationship with a great man, a great man. I hope that you will applaud them. They're living for it. It might be nice to get it from you. Let me pray over you and read over you our Our passage for the month, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire for greatness. You will be greater than you ever thought possible. Let me pray this over you. Father, this is a very difficult uh, series for us at times because it really boils down to a choice. Will we trust you? Will we follow you? Will we surrender to you, God? Or will we just go around doing what the world does? We want to have these desires satisfied. We want to be fascinated. We want to be great, God. And we want that because you're like that. It makes sense that we want these things. It makes sense that we desire these things. But God, show us the better ways. Show us the greater ways to satisfy these desires. Show us what it means to live like you, to to live for you, to give our lives for the sake of others. When we do that, God, these desires are going to come in their fullness into our life. Father, the end of Revelation, the end of your story, It says that those men and women who have devoted themselves to you, they will rule and reign with you on the earth forever and ever. We will be greater than we could have ever imagined for all of eternity if we will simply serve you and serve others on this earth. God help us, we don't do it naturally We want the trophy, we want the jacket We want the accolades and the accomplishments We want all those things We don't want to serve people we don't like We don't want to help people that are different than us We don't want to lower ourselves And be unknown and unnoticed Because that's what it means to be great in your eyes So make us like that Help us to be like that And I pray for the dads especially That they will be great dads Great men, great husbands Start with me God Transform me into a great man according to your definition of it and then help that to just bleed and, and, and go into the rest of this church and the rest of this community, so on and so forth. Help us to be great, but great like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you have an absolutely amazing day. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy your brunch, the U.S. Open weed whacking, whatever it is you're gonna be doing today. Have an amazing day. We'll see you very soon. Be strong and courageous.